welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about video game release dates. Whether a game is right around the corner or due out next year, somehow it always feels like a lifetime. To help me come to terms with the fact that game development takes time and cope with the fact that I'm an impatient baby is my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, I, I hesitate to ask you, but how are you doing, man? What's what's up, Steve? Oh, hold on, hold on. I'll be right there, hold on. Okay, I'm holding. I'm on standby. Oh, sorry, sorry, man. I got I got a little bit delayed on my way in today. Um, Sorry, it, uh, my arrival was a little bit later than expected, but uh, maybe uh, get used to it. Uh, That's right. Better, better, better late than never, I guess. Right? Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to make sure that I was ready for the podcast, and I, I wanted to make sure that by the time I got here, I was in the best shape that I could be. I mean, we're here to talk about release dates today, right? So... That's... Yeah, that's... <laughs> Somehow I feel like you already got the memo on that. That's it. The end. That's the end of your little... <laughs> and I'm, never, I'm never quite sure... I'm never quite sure when it ends. I want to I wanna make sure you get in every every pun and joke that uh, you had written out. Yeah, I mean, I've been watching... Um, I've been going to UCB, so watching, watching some skits. So, you know, you can tell I'm getting better. <laughs> oh that's debatable I, I, don't, I don't really appreciate the silence but uh, i'm just gonna assume your mic cut out <laughs> also joining us this week is a great guest uh you probably know him from the indoor kids and the this is rad podcast please welcome matthew burnside matthew how you doing man? hello i'm good how are you doing very well doing very well i'm excited to have you on the show uh, excited to be on thank you very much have i've heard your voice many times in the past but I've never actually really had the chance to speak with you, so I'm uh, excited to see how this goes. Uh, it's going to go terrible. <laughs> uh, I'm really mean. Uh, I'm just going to insult your looks, and really uh -huh. that gives me free reign because I can't see you yeah. right now. And uh, so I can make up whatever I want about uh, your ugly face. <laughs> well, I can tell you I, I don't have any hair on the top of my head, so if you want to, uh, if you want to make fun of something, you can go right for that. Oh, I should have asked you this before. Can we curse? Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Shit, okay. yeah. All right. Hell yeah. Boobs. All right. Okay. That, that, we, just to get that across in the beginning. Heine. Mittens. <laughs> Whoa. I didn't, have a, I didn't have a curse word ready, <laughs> but just in case. I like to have it brewing in the yeah, background. Yeah, you just got one cocked and loaded. Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Cocked? That's a little bit too far. I'm getting a little blue with that. <laughs> well, Matt, for people who might not be quite so familiar with you, what's your background in video games? Uh, well, I started uh, in video game journalism, I suppose you could say. I was uh, a long, long time ago. I was writing for Nerdist uh, way before it became the big, gigantic beast that it is today. Uh, and I would do some video game stuff here and there, talk about some releases, and uh, once in a while get to go to events and stuff, E3 and whatnot. And uh, after that, I started working for Emily and Kamel and the Indoor Kids. Um, because I was working for Emily at the Nerdist Theater, the Nerdist Showroom at Meltdown. And uh, yeah, from that, I actually segued into uh, QA and worked my way up through QA for a number of years uh, until I left QA recently. And now, uh, I don't know, navigating new territories of games again. So you're saying now, I can you send you this podcast and you can, uh, you can QA it for me afterwards? 
Yeah, yeah, you probably have some collision issues. Just gotta uh, check it for bugs. Yeah, Maybe all that um, kind of stuff. I don't know what you can do about that intro that I just did, but if you could, uh, <laughs> no one can save. That <laughs> no one can bit. save the intros. No one can save yeah, our I'd intros. Prob- yeah, well, uh, just cut the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and noted. Oh my gosh! So how did you how did you come to know Kamel and Emily for the indoor kids? Um. Well, f- honestly, Hardwick was decided that he wanted to open up the theater and uh and jonah ray was like uh meltdown's great i already do a show there i was going to the meltdown uh i didn't explicitly know them uh i kind of knew jonah a little bit but i did not know camille and emily um and then uh as we were opening up that theater i was just like hey i want to work at the theater (laughs) i got nothing going on that sounds fun and chris was like okay go talk to emily and uh, and then from that it was just like well all right you don't seem like a jerk let's go let's do it <laughs> and surprisingly hard to find in this town <laughs> yes <laughs> and Emily and Camille are the exact opposite of jerks they're, they're wonderful um, yeah and so basically just uh, got to know them quite well working through the theater and played games with them and that that led to indoor kids. And then how did you make the uh, the transition to This Is Rad? We mentioned This Is Rad on every single one of our episodes. Cause you're, you're... Yeah, Kyle, oh, Kyle did our theme song. Oh, well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, well, Kyle and I have known each other for a long time. He came on kind of in the, like, I think it was like the second wave of interns that we had at the theater. Uh, so I had been there for a number of months. And then obviously we just kind of instantly became friends. And uh, he had the idea for the podcast and was like, let's do it. And I was like, "That sounds like a great idea. I like it. Let's let's go." And now we're—I don't even remember how many years we've been doing it. <laughs> you guys, you guys have quite the backlog. Yeah, um, we're really big on like not doing seasons, like some people like to do. Yeah. It's, like people will take hiatuses and stuff, and we're not really into that. Instead, we'd rather like take a grueling like week or two to like pack in some extra episodes that we record and and backlog them. Yeah. You guys are doing the uh, Summer of Rad right now, right? Yeah, right now we got the Summer of Rad going on. Uh, we did a, a surfing episode that should be up soon. I think that's in like a week or two. We just put out the Warp Tour one. Uh, the the big one, <laughs> we've got this ongoing thing. I don't know if your listeners have listened to my podcast very much or not, but uh, the boat uh, with, with Adam, our friend who said he was going to get a, a boat for an episode at one point, and then he never did. And we constantly ridicule him. And so we're going to do an episode all about truces. And we are going out on a boat. We have rented a boat. Hell we, yeah. are, we are going out on the boat to make a formal truce with Adam. That's that's awesome. I mean, if you need someone there to uh, moderate, I will, I will happily <laughs> throw my hat in the ring. I don't want to say that my plan is to actually abandon him in the middle of the open sea. Uh, so a moderator might be bad. So I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I don't want to incriminate myself. Okay, incriminate. Incriminate? Jared will edit. Jared edits, edits on all that stuff. <laughs> no, I say I say stupid stuff all the time. Uh, let it be. Yeah, after after we record, I just have everyone read through the dictionary once, and then I'll uh, Frankenbite it. <laughs> Don't be don't be afraid to say anything stupid on this podcast. We do it constantly. It's like our that's our that's shtick. We're actually that's our our mantra. We're actually quite eloquent, but then we like really really dumb it down when we record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> 
Well, Matt, when we were uh, talking about having you be a guest on the podcast, we were kind of trying to come up with a uh, an idea for a topic that we thought you know would would fit with uh, your set of skills, your particular set of skills, and uh, we we landed on release dates um, mostly because you had you went to E three this year, right? Yeah, I've been to E three five or six years now. Nice. How was this year's E three? I heard it was uh, wonderful. Uh, it was the worst. It was my absolutely favorite E3 I've ever been to. Oh, really? It was, it was terrible. I I really hated it. Uh, Were you there like with a press pass or just a, like no, a normal general admission? I, I was on. Uh, I I had my regular general industry pass, and uh, which is fine. Like the the, the press treatment is is cool. Uh, it, it's fun it's enjoyable it has its small perks uh i think the best thing is just like being able to go and get lunch for free in the middle of the day and it not take an hour to wait in line for something e3's kind of always been a bit of a safe place where you can talk to one another inside of the industry uh you're not necessarily like breaking ndas and stuff but you're still talking about stuff that you wouldn't talk about so openly uh you know like work conditions and and like you know what? How how are things going on in the studio? I was thinking, you know, if, if people are thinking about a move from a company to another or something like that, E3 is a nice place to be able to meet up with people and 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 talk and just find out what's going on at other places because you kind of you work in a hole often in gaming, and I couldn't have those conversations this year because every single time that would start to come up you'd have somebody walk up and just be like, oh, wow, you worked for so-and-so, and you worked for so-and-so, oh, I loved this, and like, oh, what's it like to work at this and do that? And it's just like, man, I'm I'm trying to network. Like, Yeah, <laughs> this is, it's less of an industry yeah. event now, obviously. Yeah, yeah so it kind of sucks because it, it really is kind of, uh, it, it really is a way to navigate the professional field yeah. uh, socially, and it kind of... It just kind of ruined it this year, so I ended up not even going the last day, which is not normally my. And style. for people that don't know, this year at E3 was the first time that they've let the public in, so that's why there was there's been a lot of discussion about, yeah. you know, sort of how crowded it was and and what this means for the the future of E3 and and video game announcements and stuff like that. But E3, I mean, they kind of had to, right? Because like a lot of the publishers were sort of bailing out of it, doing their own events. So I think yeah. they felt this pressure to. Like we got to get more people in to make it more appealing to publishers to put their games in our in our show. It really is expensive to show stuff off at E3. You got to do things to get people's attention, all that stuff. And now with the internet, it's kind of removing the need for that. Um, yeah. It's E3 is genuinely a better experience at home on your computer, half naked with a cup of coffee. That's what, yeah. That's what Kyle. That's what Kyle was telling us. Yeah. It, like it's it's it is fun. It's very enjoyable. Don't get me wrong, but it's the the best way to enjoy it is on a computer screen, honestly. And yeah, I mean, if you're getting all the same things through a stream, and you when you go, you can't even you know mingle and, and network with industry professionals like you used to. Then what incentive is there for for people yeah. in the industry to keep showing up? You know, yeah. it's like they're, they're trying to turn it into packs, but they didn't do anything to make it more more palatable for for the everyday audiences. So. I mean, yeah. it was their first year. Fifteen thousand extra people showed up, so it's like, I don't know. I think know. it was maybe, maybe actually even more than that. What, really? what I'm confused about is they had a gigantic sign in front of the place one day that said seventy some thousand in attendance, a, a, a much larger number than what they had announced by the end of it. Uh, so I, I really don't understand the truth of what number <laughs> it's what. Hmm. A lot. <laughs> but it, 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 
it felt like seventy thousand. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I know that they weren't making the money that they kind of need to, but I don't know. I, solutions that I see are either minimize the the number of of public badges to a much smaller number, or I hate to say this, move to a larger venue. But then moving to a larger venue outside, which would take you outside of LA, whether that's Anaheim or or Las Vegas or somewhere, I I still see that as ended up being a cost problem because you. St- still aren't solving the problem of the amount of people who are actually sitting down and looking at your product, at your game. So the cost is still going to need to increase from an exhibitor point of view, from just needing to have more machines to put in front of more faces to get more people moving through the line faster. It's not going to, being in a bigger venue isn't just going to magically make the lines shorter. So it would still increase costs, which is kind of not, you know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's more of like the they have point. to like kind of change the format of the sh- the whole show just to make it one more accommodating. Things, one of the things I like that I heard was uh, doing like a couple of press days and then doing a couple a couple of public days. I think that's the way. I think that's how PAX does I, it, right? I would agree. Yeah, and, PAX does it that way. Um, I've never been to Gamescom, but I feel like there's something like that that goes on for Gamescom, and that's already happened to a degree behind the scenes at E3 with certain things. In the past, there has been stuff where I've gone like a week or two before E3 uh, to like a, a small, like more closed off invited event uh, to get to sit down with something just because they know the churn is not going to get in front of everybody uh, on the floor. So they would do that. And uh, it, it just needs to happen on a more organized scale, I think. Well, I've never been to an E3 and uh, I could. I could pick your brain all day about it because I. It seems like I mean it, it. seems like Christmas and summertime. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like it's a very similar excitement, um, maybe to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of uh, of like when you see a Black Friday sale. Yeah. <laughs> like leaked beforehand, you're like, ooh, this and this. Oh, neat! I'm excited to spend money on that now. That's kind of all it does <laughs> now now was there like one game that you saw at the show that you're excited that you're like the most excited for i don't know i saw quite a few that i liked um i think spider-man looks like it's going to be very entertaining i'm excited for a good spider-man game i feel like it's about time yeah it's been a bit again because i man those those old ones uh, that spider-man 2. yeah i was gonna say spider-man 2 i i just spent my whole time playing that game on that very first level where you're just kind of like in the city and i yeah. just it's just so fun to swing around and then i feel like it really really was and then it's like no spider-man game has has really kind of captured that for me since then they've come close but yeah this one this one looks really awesome i'm excited to see the open world aspect to it now did they did they announce a release date for that i don't think they did right uh no i believe they just said next year yeah well, this, that was Which, <laughs> that was my that was my terrible attempt at a segue, and it's is that your segue? <laughs> well, I was kind of I, I kind of figured I'd throw it out there and and uh, and see what <laughs> what I was able to make of it, but no. <laughs> now, uh, now just referencing the segue is how I'm going to segue into our discussion about release dates. Hey, it, segue. it works. Seg- yeah, just say the word segue, and it appears. Jared, let's talk about the origins of release dates. I would really like enjoy 
because of the topics that we talk about, sometimes there's not a definable moment in history where there's a very specific timeline of, of events that happened. But as far as release dates go, there was stuff like early interactive games like Birdie the Brain, which were shown at the World's Fair in the 1940s and 50s, but those weren't really publicly available. There were early computer games in the 1960s that were shown in catalogs, but they're also not really commercially viable because no one really owned computers. Where things started going more public was when arcades became a big deal. And in 1971, the Computer and Space Galaxy game were the first arcade games, and they, that, that was followed up by like Pong and stuff like that. Eventually, Magnavox Odyssey released uh, in 1972, and it was the first home console, and it was invented by Ralph Baer and licensed by Magnavox, and it was announced in May of 1972 and released in September of 1972. So not like, I mean, for being like a super early console, not a whole lot of time in between the announcement and the release of it. Yeah, and this one, it's it's important because they, this was the first time that a video game company had marketed a product to the public. Normally it was like an arcade cabinet would show up at, at your local bar and... Yeah, it was less of, less of like an event and more of like, yeah. here's a product that you can buy and have now. And this was something that they actually announced beforehand. They announced it in May of 72 and released it later that year. And they advertised it on TV, which had never been done before. That was the first time that any sort of video game had been marketed to such a broad audience. This was the system that you would actually put like uh, almost like a laminate thing over yep. your, your television screen. Yes, yeah. yeah. You look at it now and you're like, oh my god, how did people even consider <laughs> yeah. this a video game? Because essentially it just sort of like used bright blocks on your screen to simulate... I mean, most of them were, were sort of Pong-esque. It was like a ball kind of got kicked back and forth uh, across the screen, and you controlled the paddles at either end. Yeah, I had, uh, what was this, like, like the little tiger handhelds? I had one that was like some adventure game that I couldn't even tell you what the name of it was. And it, the whole screen was set up with stuff like that. There was lots of outlines of things like trees mm-hmm. and yeah and uh, i guess walls and stuff and you knew that where you were in the environment by which ones were like filled in and basically lit up yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and you were supposed to figure out your way through a maze that way i never got anywhere in that thing <laughs> yeah i feel like that's something that like all 90s kids remember everyone had one of those things like a shitty ninja turtles <sighs> handheld video oh, game yeah. or something like that it was like mm-hmm. it, i mean you were balling if you had a game boy oh, man, my, my best friend had a game boy and i was constantly just like give it to me <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how release dates are important today and i guess i'll start off by asking do you guys have any stories about like how a, a video game release has impacted you like matt has has there been any video game release date that you remember either fondly or otherwise well, I, I, for one, am very kind of lenient with release dates. Uh, I understand when a company is just like, no, well, the, we want a firm release date, and this is that's the date, and we're sticking to it. I get it. Uh, it works very well for annual release titles, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm not one to complain when something gets delayed, because the way I look at it is I'm going to get a better game, most likely, and there's lots of games. Okay, good. There are so many games to play constantly. Uh, it's embarrassing to look at my Steam back catalog uh it's insane i'll never be able to play and complete all the games i already own so i'm i'm glad you're bringing I, this up i, I don't care about that this gives us something to fight about later 
I just met you. I just met you, but we're gonna we're gonna get into a fight. <laughs> now, I can I I can certainly agree with various arguments that I'm sure you will bring up. <laughs> but being bummed out by something getting delayed has has never really been a significant thing for me. I remember when Bioshock was first coming out, and it was notable for me because at the time I was working at a movie gallery. I was a manager at a movie gallery, which is like a rental place, and at that point in time, publishers would send out the games weeks in advance. So we would get a game one, two, maybe even three weeks before it hit shelves. And we could take it out and play it and get familiar with it. And I was watching Attack of the Show one day, and Kevin Pereira was on there like, it's somebody sold this to me when they weren't supposed to. It doesn't come out for like a week or two. Or so. And I was like, oh, hey. I forgot we got that in. I'm going to I'm going to try it out. And so I ended, <laughs> I completely fell in love. It might be my favorite game of all time and I beat it twice before it was actually even released to the public cuz I just I just never left my desk for an entire weekend and I basically beat it twice. That's pretty cool. Were you a System Shock fan? You know, I had I was not a PC gamer growing up, so I never had actually played it. Uh, I have System Shock 2 now, but uh, it's a little rough. And yeah. now that they've announced that they're doing the uh, like a remaster of it, whoever it is that's doing it, I figure I'll just wait for that. Have you tried Prey yet? That's that's one that's like in my backlog that I want to play. I love it. I really like it a lot. Uh, I'm probably like two thirds of the way through it. Uh, I think the game's great. It's, uh, it's kind of a bummer that they had such a a weird week release that happened because uh, yeah it just kind of awesome. seemed kind of flaccid like no like it came out and people were like oh yeah like this game is it's good i guess i mean and, and then i don't know like everyone seemed kind of lukewarm that to was it rough and it had a rough it had a rough window because it was up against like zelda and horizon yeah. zero dawn and it, and that's yeah, true when there's great games like that to play you can't you can't limp to true. the table you can't limp to the table you gotta come you gotta come out swinging yeah, I'm. I'm definitely gonna check it out. It's. It's definitely on my radar. I like. I re, I'm a big fan of the shot games, and it. The more I, I didn't realize, I guess, before uh, I started watching gameplay of it, how shock-like it yeah. was. If that's a word. Yeah. No. Uh, it definitely. It looks is. great. It's totally up my alley. That's what they did. Yeah. So when I think about release dates, the one that I that comes to mind immediately is um, when I bought a PlayStation Four. I bought it for the launch game, quote unquote launch game, uh, The Division. It was supposed to come out with the PS4. Oh yeah, I was so hyped yeah, for that it game. Showed so I was, yep, well, I'm too. gonna get a PS4. And uh, yeah, we kind of all know how that went. Wait, you did know, they it's... advertise that as a launch title? Yeah, like pretty early on, know. it was it was supposed to be a PS4 I don't, launch. I don't title. know if they ever said the word launch title. They just heavily implied it. Uh, I don't know. I, I, someone told me it was a launch title. I read it somewhere. <laughs> I, didn't make, yeah, I don't, I don't think know. I made it up in my mind. I mean, it was, yeah, I don't know. It, and like, I probably stopped paying attention after a while. Then I got a PS4 and I was like, wait, this didn't come out? And then, you know, like months and months later, it did come out. And I don't did know. You, the Division is, is a game. Did you play it? Yeah, uh, I have it on PC. Uh, I, by the time it came out, I had a real nice PC. So I was like, whatever, I'll play on PC. And, uh, Whatever. <laughs> did you have a group? Did you have a group of people you played with? Um, a couple. Yeah, on occasions, and it was it was fun, like running around people that you knew. Um, but I just it was just so Ubisoft that I kind of fell off of it pretty early. You know, just a map yeah. full of collect collectibles and 
I didn't really find like we had a, we had a, our last episode was about boss battles and like I felt like the boss battles in those games were just kind of it's like I don't I don't know why this guy is taking five thousand bullets to kill kind of like wasn't my jam. Yeah, no, I I get it. it the game is definitely best best played with a, an entire group of people. I've got a group of guys that I play with. We play a lot of Battlefield with each other, and from that we've done a lot of you know Destiny raiding and all that kind of stuff. So Division was fun. Like we we went through everything, but after a, a point, it's just like, well, this really still doesn't feel like a, a like an endless well of a game. Like yeah, Destiny, it was, you can keep going back in over and over and over again. And it was delayed for so long, and like people were talking about it for so long. There's so many presentations of it that I guess in my head I had built it up to be something different than I mm-hmm. than it came out to be, and maybe that was my fault. But also, you know, it's just. I don't know. That's one of the dangers of delaying releases, I think, and hyping up games too much is that it gets it gets really built up in people's minds, and then yes. when it's not it's not what everything that they expected. It, people say it's a bad game when I guess maybe necessarily it's not a, really a bad game. It's just not what they had in mind after yeah. all these months. Yeah, which is like I'm fine with release dates. Not a big fan of the hype train. Yeah, it's easy to get swept up into it. It's 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 a storm. It's a tornado. Yeah. It's so easy to get sucked up into it, but uh, the the hype train. I try my best. I I'm with movies anymore. I'm just I never watch trailers. Uh, if, oh, if God, something no. seems appealing, uh, then cool. Uh, if someone that I trust is telling me that I should probably see a movie, I will take their opinion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I try to avoid stuff, and I just I attempt to do that with games. It's very very difficult. But yeah. but yeah, the hype train can be dangerous. Yeah, one of my one of my first experiences, um, actually, it might have been the first time I had ever sort of sought out a release date for a video game was uh, Final Fantasy VIII. I played ah. I played through Final Fantasy VII, and bef- you know, I was I, don't know, I was probably in like sixth grade when I played through Final Fantasy VII for the first time, so I wasn't really plugged into the whole video game world. Like I just kind of played whatever was in front of me, whatever my parents bought for me, or I could get my hands on at a friend's place. But after playing Final Fantasy VII, I just I, I wanted more. I needed more. And so I was like super jazzed for Final Fantasy VIII, and then that one got, uh, like traditional Final Fantasy style got delayed. It was like the the game release got delayed, and then the localization for it got delayed, and then it was like probably a year or two it had missed its release date and that was like and that's kind of my that's that's kind of my first experience uh being excited for a game so maybe that that explains why i'm so ready to get into a fight over (laughs) delayed release dates (laughs) (laughs) it scarred me man it scarred me it's certainly hard to defend anything like a a square (laughs) pushback those those are insane they are sort of the extreme way too early yeah yeah I'll, i'll definitely say uh, have something substantial before you announce. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like Final Fantasy VII remake. It's like we're doing it, and yeah. it's going to be episodic. And episode one will be out someday. Yeah, yeah. I love the, when they recently said something like, "It'll definitely be out before 2020." And you're like, "What?" They just want people to stop asking them about it. Probably they're like, "Well, we want a Final Fantasy VII remake." They're like, "We're fucking doing it, okay." Yeah. <laughs> like they like they really felt forced to announce something and then now people are like well when's it happening and it's like well probably not for a while yeah. <laughs> yeah and i heard that like 
their announcement was basically like we're gonna we're we're starting development of it, not we're it like we're in development of it. I I don't know if that's true or not, but God, I hope not because that's insane to me. Yeah, I think they've <laughs> such they a, have as far as I know they haven't said an official release date for that game. They've just said we're making it and no. not to expect it anytime soon, which to me is fine. Like you know, if you're gonna announce a game to just get people off your case, that's cool. But when it comes to talking about like release date delays, I think there's a lot of issues there. I mean, so just this past year, they announced Red Dead Redemption 2 was going to be out. When was it supposed to be? It was supposed to be out like fall of this year, I think. And then it was like... Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't even know yeah, that. Yeah, they like announced it was supposed to be fall of this year. And then it was like two weeks later, they said, actually, uh, it's delayed till sometime next year. Yeah, that... I, I don't understand the point of that one. I can't can't certainly can't get behind that one <laughs> that nothing should have been announced if they if if things were changing so frequently that the, the entire plan has to change inside of a month it, that's weird you know it's one thing like why you know why do you get frustrated about a, a delay in a video game like don't you want them to delay it and make the best game possible but i think there's kind there's like this this sort of social contract that you enter into when these companies are announcing games like Rockstar, they're asking you to get excited about their game. And part of part of that marketing, part of that way to generate excitement is to announce a release date. That's part of a marketing strategy. And when we as an audience go, yeah, I'm excited about it. And they go, actually, you know, actually, we're going to push it back a little bit. They're kind of violating. They're, they're, they're kind of like having their cake and eating it, too, if that makes sense. Like they're. They're getting you excited. You've you've done your part in getting excited, and then they go like, ah, actually, no. Well, I think one of the things that we have to remember is that a lot of these companies are public companies with stockholders, and they, you know, when they announce a game, their stock goes up. Yeah. So a lot of that could have stuff to do with fiscal timing, and I think that definitely in the case of Rockstar, they probably wanted to announce it because it's been a while since they've had a major release. And uh, there's, there's, there's a whole business aspect of it I too. I understand so that. It's, yeah. not just be, it's not just about like getting people's hopes up. Listen, like we need people to be still invested in our company even though we're not quite ready to release I, a game this year. I understand that. It just seems like, like a shitty way to do it though. I, I, I agree. I think there's two negative things that happen. One is I think they probably knew that they were going to be announcing a delayed date no matter what. Yeah. I think part of it is when you're someone like Rockstar, not everyone can do this. We all know all three of us are going to go out and buy that game. Oh, day it doesn't one. Matter when it's, yeah, it doesn't matter when it's released. <laughs> we're going to go and do it. And and they know that. They've got every track history <laughs> that, that shows that. So it's it can very likely be marketing strategy to be like, we're delaying it. And just the fact that we're talking about their delay means we're talking more about Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah. And we're not talking about something else. And so there's no reason to believe that they could not use that and basically weaponize that as marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think the the public traded company thing is, is a great point because that, yeah, definitely. People, and it's not just video games, tech, the tech industry is notorious for this. Announcing things, using the announcements as as guidance for a share price. Sometimes that's perfectly fine. Uh, Apple does that con- like like to the day basically and with a calendar and 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 there's 
nothing wrong with it. They announce something and it's going to come out. Um, if there's a delay, it's usually pretty obvious that like, oh, there was a production delay. Uh, you know, it'll be three more days or one more week or something. And then nobody's like, oh, how dare you? Yeah. But with a game, it does kind of seem like it can be almost misleading the shareholders. If they're like, oh, we're going to we're going to release at this time. And then the stock goes up and then they go, well, actually, and because then that really like I, I've got a lot of stocks. Uh, I don't exactly get excited when I see that kind of stuff, because then you get a slump and you're like, yeah, it'll probably recover. All that stuff about, you know, appeasing shareholders and raising stock prices and stuff. None of that is gamer facing. That's all behind the scenes stuff and might be done for the, mm-hmm. I mean, it might be done for the best of intentions. It might be, you know, like we boost our stocks now by announcing a release date and uh, then we announce a delay and Red Dead Redemption comes out, you know, a year later and it's better than it would have been if they hadn't done these kinds of shenanigans. But that's all behind the scenes stuff. I think for mm-hmm. most people, it it feels bad. And and I, I think that, you know, we you're saying you kind of tried to avoid the hype for video games, but I think, you know, it, it's it's difficult, but I think that hype affects enjoyment of video games i think it affects enjoyment of of a lot of things but if you announce a game then pull your release date back push the game back that can i think even end up souring people's opinion of the game where if you go sort of maybe more the the fallout route of announce the game and release it whatever it was five months later like people walk into fallout jazzed because it was like i just heard about this thing they uh, announced the release date and the game came out when they said it would. And now I'm, you know, I'm in this world and I'm loving it. And I'm overlooking the fact that uh, Preston has asked me to go save another village for the eight millionth time. Yeah, that's a, that's a good example, because I think that's uh, all the Bethesda made titles would be games that are hurt if they delay. Because if Fallout 4 came out in a very similar state as it did three, four months later than they initially announced I already get upset with that game for being as buggy as it is, but yeah. but if they delayed it and then it was still just as buggy, which knowing them most likely that bugs are probably not what they were ironing out. They something <laughs> else. Adding here's it's got twenty more systems running in the background of all kinds of crazy things. Your house can have a house, and, <laughs> and like that, I feel like that could be titles that would be hurt by it. Because, yeah, if you're delaying it, it needs to, there needs to be polish. The fact that it was released so soon after it was announced, it didn't give me a whole lot of time to to think about, like, oh, man, they're going to do so much different stuff with this game. Uh, I was just kind of hyped for a new Fallout. So when it came out, I was like, yeah, I'll play it. And I, I enjoyed it. It was it was another Fallout. I, I didn't I didn't expect more than I guess I should have. I was like, oh, cool, it's out, now I can play it. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, uh, man, release dates are, uh, a risky business. The, the weird thing is, the weird thing is that the industry, well, the industry and players alike, I think, almost unanimously, really liked that that style of announcing a game. Oh yeah, and it's weird to me if, that more companies haven't adopted that, right? Like, once Fallout Four did that, and people were like, "Oh yeah, this is how games should be announced." We still get the Red Dead Redemptions. Well, some of these companies spend so much, almost as much or more money, marketing the game as they do developing it. So that would probably give their marketing department a heart attack because whatever they spent on it versus you know, their, their projected sales, 
I think that's a big problem for running a business if you don't have the time to market the game like you want to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Timing. A, a smaller company is probably going to need a thinner marketing campaign that's stretched out over some more time just because you need to get in front of people. Something like Fallout and, and these behemoths of AAA games, they can afford to sink money into marketing costs. Well, obviously because they've got a, a big wallet, but but also they can take that risk in the background. Uh, Versus I've, something like if Half-Life 3 came out tomorrow and they didn't even issue a press release, like it'd still be the best-selling game of all time, guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, would, it would be insane. But, you know, somebody, something smaller some moderately large indie game like if the people the people who made inside if they came out with a new game and they were like oh it's coming out in four weeks it probably is not going to do as well as if they were like this game is coming out in six months Hmm, right and it could be the exact same game and it's just because exposure fallout is like here it is it's coming soon and everyone is going to hear about it and they're already they were planning for a long time before that behind the scenes shooting elaborate expensive commercials and ad campaigns uh and they can they can afford to pay like a higher price to get advertisements and bigger better stuff you know wrap a building in downtown los angeles with some stuff and throw these gigantic parties and and all those things and they can do it a little bit more last second because they can pay more do you guys remember the fighting game that came out in the 90s or it didn't come out actually uh called thrill kill for the playstation yes no I do not remember this. What educate me? So I remember I was uh, I subscribed to PlayStation Magazine (PSM) and a few issues they did previews of this game called Thrill Kill. And at the time, a lot of journalists were marketing or saying it's going to be like the next Mortal Kombat. It was crazy. It was the craziest shit I've ever seen. And I was so excited for it as a kid, mostly because it was like super violent, and all the characters were like these weird personifications of different types of like evil. Um, a lot of them were like hypersexualized and like BDSM and fetish costumes and mm-hmm. stuff. And there was like limb dismemberment in the game. The game was like basically finished and EA saw the game and the ESRB saw the game and gave it the, uh, it's like one of the few games that actually got the adults only rating from the ESRB and EA was like, Hmm, we can't release that's so funny because it's so it's it so crazy tame. and i was, I was so hyped for it and it was like the first fighting game that was going to be like uh four on four or it was like four players could fight each other at once so it wasn't just one-on-one so i think oh, there was like cool. different modes and stuff so it was like kind of like it was cool on a technical level but also like absolutely batshit insane it was it was uh, developed by paradox so um yeah they, they kind of like really went all out in this theme and uh, they they literally like I guess repurposed the engine for um, Wu Tang Clan Shaolin style, which was released <laughs> next year. <laughs> so oh, I guess they got oh some use out oh of it. But gosh. man, what a crazy game that was! But like, like I remember they they announced that game and it was all over all over gaming magazines, and then it was just like canceled. So I was kind of bummed about that because it looked crazy as shit. That sucks, and that's just culture because that game would come out today. Oh yeah, no yeah. Question. Oh yeah, guaranteed. I mean, it could it get an they e, wouldn't. It would get an E for everyone be. rating today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Demo Maybe comes in the bottom of a box of cereal. 
Now, so I, I think one of the important things to kind of keep in mind as we're talking about the idea of release dates uh, as they relate to video games is how it actually affects game design. Uh, can you guys think of any ways that it affects the way that games are designed? A hundred percent of games. <laughs> that That's uh, like you could work on perfecting a game endlessly. Uh, it's at, at a certain point, you've got to make decisions of what features are going to stick and what features are not going to stick, but also uh, how much time you're going to spend fixing assets from big things to incredibly small things. Yeah. Um, you, there's grass is going to be clipping through something somewhere constantly. That's never going to go away. Um, yeah. You know, you're going to see some weird LED pop once in a while. How much, uh, how much can we get out of there and how much do we want to polish it? Depends on budget and and release date. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I think if you talk to any developer, they would say that it like they want more time. Is the thing yeah. that they oh, can yeah. use to. It's like every developer wants more time, but I mean, you, you'd never have a game yeah. that comes. I'm out. glad you guys yeah. brought this up because I. So in doing research for this topic, I came across an article. It's called "Learn to Let Go: How Success Killed Duke Nukem," and it was in Wired magazine. I'm just going to quickly read a quote from it here. It says, by the end of 1999, after blowing several publicly proclaimed release dates, Duke Nukem Forever was nowhere near completion. Worse, former employees say Browsard, who is the um, sort of the lead on the game and one of the owners of the company, uh, he didn't appear to have an end game, an overall plan for what the finished product looked like, and thus a way to recognize when it was nearing completion. So yeah, I think release dates are critical because... You know, as a as a creative person, it's it's hard to say, yeah, I'm done with this product and I'm ready to put it out into the world because, yeah, like you're saying, there's always a little bit more that you could do for it. And one of the things I thought was mm-hmm. that's insane to me that they didn't have a creative vision like after all those years, no, to still not have the idea of how the what they wanted the game to be because it changed. I mean, and one of the other things that this article brought up that was interesting is that developers, you know, they they sometimes have. Uh, sort of a tense relationship with the publisher, but that relationship is important because you need a publisher there standing over your shoulder saying like, hey, you got to release the game now. You got to release the game now. And this happens in a lot of industries. It happens in the film industry with directors and producers and, you know, authors and publishers and stuff like that. But it's important to have that deadline. And, you know, there's there can be some push and pull. A developer says like, hey, we really want to get this thing in. Can we have a little more time? And the publisher can acquiesce. But that deadline is important because that says like when a game comes out, if there were if there were no release dates, we would never have games. We would have things like DayZ or uh, Star Citizen, these games that just seem to be Mm -hmm. perpetually in development. Oh, Star Citizen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that game's come up in our our podcast a few times under under different topics, but. Who knows what that game is? And like that's the thing is they far surpassed their their crowdfunding goals, and thus expanded the scope of their game infinitely. So now there's no foreseeable end to it. Yeah. So it's like is that game ever going to come out? And what is what is it? What does that mean when the game's yeah. out? What does that game? Well, look it's interesting because like? now we've got this this concept of early access that can keep a game like Star Citizen afloat, or a game like DayZ afloat, or mm-hmm. Players Unknown Battlegrounds. Games Which like I think that. they they do the absolute best of that. I'm not normally a big fan of of early release. I'd say 90 plus percent of the time I look at that and I just go, "How dare you!" <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "This is a scam for sure." Yeah, well, it, it it often feels like I get it. 
game development is absolutely grueling. It's yeah. game game development sucks. There's <laughs> there's no way around it. Uh, you give your life for it and you give it up extremely. And there's lots of issues with the industry and there's lots of problems that need uh, terribly fixed. Going back to what you said about game developers wanting more time. The more time is not just more time to work on the product, but game developers want more time because they want to see their families <laughs> because yeah. people never, you never leave the office. My, some of my crunch periods were so many months on end of working 80 plus hour weeks. And they're like, and well, we got fine. you a hammock. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it's it. And, and the, the problem is it's like, it sucks and people will complain, but at the same time we do kind of like love it. It's weird. Working in the games, you really, you really gotta like it. But that—that's, that's a tangent. But um, I already forget what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that kind of brings me to something that I've been thinking about a lot lately: is do release dates really even matter anymore? Every game essentially is in an early access state. Every game releases with either a day one patch or is patched constantly throughout its release. Like, look at. Well, Mass Infect Andromeda, any game, like just any single game that ever comes out these days is, is going to be patches. It's never actually like finished, finished. So when do you say like a game, like you have to have a working product like that's worth like the $60 that you're selling it for or whatever, but it's not, I don't know. Early release to me is like losing most of its meaning. Um, Yeah, I get that to a degree. I think early access is way more of, of a... We have not even, we're probably far from implementing all of the features of the game. Right, it's not there's feature a, complete. Yeah, there's there's a lot of aspects missing, and there's going to be things that will probably be added and then taken away, and then maybe added again later. All kinds of issues like that there. Patching a game is for a ton of different reasons. Um, and yeah, a, a game is never done these, these days, but I, I certainly don't think it's fair to, to say something that releases... And then needs a day one patch, and then even a patch a few days later, as being comparable to an early release, because uh, day one patches do a lot of different things. Um, one, they yes, they, they sometimes a game is known to be a, of a certain broken status when it is first being submitted. Uh, right, like and, they want to hit that ship date, but they keep yeah, working on it. Yeah, and and the and that's. There's there's multiple reasons behind that, but it's it's usually the the big thing is people need to press the discs and and it needs to be there or we're gonna miss a manufacturing date and that can severely ruin a release. But also it's usually because the stuff that is being worked on is probably gated behind online play anyway. And so it's sure. an aspect of the game that you will not even touch until you're touching the internet. So we can just why why delay a game two weeks so, solely for the logistics of business right. when when we can deliver you this thing that in no way changes the way that you are actually going to be interacting with it without it. And that so there's a couple of games that I does that. That come to mind when I think of that kind of thing is Destiny from some of the stories that I've heard of the development of that game is that they scrapped the entire game a few times, started rebuilding it, and they built the game. And then, like, the, one of the last things they did was kind of wrap a story around it. So, like, I kind of wonder sometimes in games that get delayed like a month or two, like, what exactly 
are they doing in those last two months that's uh like are they adding like are they rushing real critical aspects of the game in the last two months like what what exactly is being done in those last two months like I, i'm sure some stories come out of of that but i don't feel like it's very transparent a lot of times and i'm not saying it's a bad thing that there are day one patches but um there's things like player unknowns battlegrounds now which i think has done such an amazing job yeah. of coming out in early access like they had closed alphas for a while they had beta weekends which i participated in and the game, you know, while it's it has its jank to it, it's it's amazing. And they, I think it was at E3 this year, they announced that they're going to release the game, quote unquote, release the game later this year, like October or something. And I, I, I wonder what that means to them, releasing the game, because I, I, I don't imagine that is going to be the end of them doing new things and oh yeah, no releasing way. new maps and or like just adding features to it. They're going to so, keep supporting that I game think that, for a long time. I think that means it's console ready. I think I think for them, I think well, so. Speaking specifically about Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, if it was up to them and they were just sticking to PC, it would it would sort of be in this state of perpetual development. And they might eventually sort of say like, okay, it's done. This is an official release day. But now that they're tied to Xbox and they have to like yeah. press a disc and put it into stores, I think release day for them means that's the day that they're. But Xbox has like an early access thing. Now. Yeah, I know the so why can't I know just... the consoles are kind of getting into that territory. Yeah, but it's, I think it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the yeah. same as what's what Steam's. And in. and there's 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 still criteria you have to yeah. meet to get anything on a console. That's a curated experience. That's what you pay for as a console user. Yeah, and like, I yeah, I was gonna I'm say I'm new that... to the PC game world. Like I I did it a, a little bit in the early 2000s briefly, uh, and then uh, my computer kicked the bucket, and it wasn't particularly great to begin with and so i had completely walked away from that and was living an all mac lifestyle for a decade and then just recently this year uh built a <laughs> mac up. lifestyle <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a there's so a small group of us we now. meet on weekends yeah <laughs> but yeah that's a but, that's a great point about yeah. about the uh the early access stuff on consoles because yeah i think there's don't try to keep us on there's track. A, well there is a difference <laughs> in those communities right like the pc community Absolutely. is a little more open to that kind of experience of um, you know, I'm gonna pay to get in early in this game. I'm gonna help them in the development of this game. But yeah, when you're on a console, that you know, a lot yeah. of those people are like, you know, I, I want to be able to buy something tangible that I can put in little Timmy's stocking yeah. this year. Which is which is also like a, an interesting and, and dangerous kind of relationship that PC developers have with PC fans because PC fans can feel a little bit more entitled because they they're they do. They feel like they're on the roller coaster with with developers and experimenting with this game. People feel closer to to Player Unknown's Battlegrounds than they do to other games, because it, I mean it is it is a great thing that they're doing with these weekly and monthly updates that you feel really close yeah. to the development of the yeah, process. Yeah, there's because, definitely but there's then, an intimacy to it for sure. Yeah, and that intimacy brings almost uh, as as much as it is not truthfully deserved. You feel a little bit of a sense of ownership of of the game, even though it's not it's not your thing. You didn't make it, but PC definitely you can see that there in, in communities, no problem. And uh, I I think it'll be a interesting thing when that game in particular moves over to consoles to see if they do something to cut down on the incredibly racist and misogynistic 
uh, chatter that goes on on the chat uh, in the lobby of that game because it's abs- <laughs> the plane is just like a well, fucking well, nightmare. I don't know if you saw, Dude, they're, they're adding a silent room. They're adding a room you can walk into that just cuts all the sound for the lobby. That's that's, that's great. <laughs> they they um, know it's there. They know it exists. And I like, but but it, like once once people can start being like reported for that kind of stuff or anything like. I just want to get in there and just like try to start like a like an honest debate and see how it goes. <laughs> Terrible. Someone's just gonna crouch down in front of you and say that they're fully get in my you. human centipede train. Shut up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then they'll throw a Molotov cocktail at you. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're I original. have so much respect for Brendan Green, uh, play, player unknown Brendan yeah. Green. He's. He, I don't know how much background he had in game development before this. I know he did the mod for uh, Arma and he worked with uh, Sony on H1Z1's King of the Kill like as a consultant but this like this is like the cleanest I've ever seen an early access game come out and, like this guy from all accounts is just yeah. genuinely like honest I'd say, dude and I'd it, say it, a, it carries over so much to the product that he's put out a big thing is how successful they've been they yeah. they they have moved massive numbers of that game already and so they've made a killing amount of money. they they've made more more money in early access than a lot of games make over the entire lifespan and the crazy thing is it seems like they've been able to scale with that growth somehow yeah and keep up like there was some server issues i mean occasionally servers go down but for the most part people seem like i don't i don't hear a ton of complaints about the stability of it no yeah i i've had very very small issues with, with that game and someday it'll make a great story i i hope that there's somebody like potentially making a documentary behind the scenes because it could be extremely interesting and very informative. And going back to your original question, Jared, I think that does bring up an interesting point about release dates. You know, I think release dates are still important, especially in the console market, but with a lot of these early access games that our discussion of release dates, you know, possibly 10 years from now can be could be a completely different kind of discussion. That's just to kind of be seen. Will that PC method bleed over into consoles? Uh, I think I think could really change the way that we talk about the way games are introduced to the public. Yeah, it's just how the business changes with yeah. it too. I think the indie scene has really changed a lot of the, what the landscape looks like for releases. What do we want to see sort of in the future? How can the industry improve on the way that they announce and release games? Matt, I'll, I'll pitch it to you first. That's difficult. I think there just needs to be more flexibility all over. What do you mean by that? You mean like we as the consumers need to also be flexible? Yeah, I'd say both sides need to be flexible. Um, People need to be a little bit more okay with certain release date movements uh, under certain conditions. Uh, I think companies could do a much better job of communicating why things get get delayed when it, it is important and detriment and and for the better. Yeah, we're a big we're a big um, proponent of transparency here on this show. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, the veil of secrecy in games, uh, while important in some aspects, is uh, a little archaic in some others. My number one concern for the future of announcing games and releasing them is I, we have to get a, away from the bull. Like, there's always vertical slices and bull shots. Which, if you're not familiar with the term, a bullshot is basically like the best a game could look. They usually run it on a computer, no matter what they're releasing it for, mm-hmm. upscale it to like 8K, and then put it into a, a, a 1080 image or whatever. Um, but and, and then people compare that to the released product when it comes out, and it looks nothing like the thing that they were advertising as little as a year previously. Yep. So 
as consumers, you have, I guess, you should understand that that is a thing and not to expect necessarily what you see a year from a year ago is going to be exactly what you get. But I also think it's misleading. I don't think it's right to show something. Ubisoft is one of the worst offenders of this where they, they show something like watchdogs and when it comes out, it's missing all kinds of different lighting and, and, and volumetric, you know, usually it surrounds graphics mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it really, I think is just bad practice. It's, I think it's anti-consumer and to, to represent your game one way. And then once it comes out, like no man's sky, they had those trailers. I, I, they may have pulled them down, but they still had those trailers on Steam after it came out. Yep. Where like that, 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 that game looked nothing like. Yeah, that that and it almost misrepresented the gameplay. Yeah, so it's I want to see less of that kind of thing. More and like, I, like Steve said, more transparency all around. And I th- I think um, those kind of as much as everybody can rally behind saying like they shouldn't have done it in the first place. Um, the trend is certainly seeming to appear. I think that uh that's got a negative impact and oh can we talk about uh beyond good and evil 2 for a second oh god do we have do we have what is to that? what even what even is that what is <laughs> that's it? not a thing what it's did like they death, show it's like what death did they show at E3? it's not a game it's not a game <laughs> I, I i don't well, know i feel like it's less than death stranding like did they announce a game or are they asking people to kickstart the game like i still don't know what that thing is i think they did something very similar to the final fantasy 7 uh, remake reveal which is that was them just saying we're doing it guys we're, we're, we're gonna actually do thing. Well, we're actually doing there's, it. there's there's all kinds of, there's like a weird backstory behind why they announced beyond there's some speculation that they're there's there's going to be a hostile takeover of that company and as like sort of a screw you like if you take us over you have to make this game they went ahead and announced it like super prematurely at least that's a lot of the they use like the rest of their budget that's, to make this cinematic. Yeah, that's like the rumor. At least that's some of the rumors around why they did that. It was like, a, hey, if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna take over this company, you're gonna take over making this game because we've already announced it, or you're gonna suffer the repercussions of not making this game. Yeah, it's sort of like a <laughs> like a weird like power move on on that, their part. All that Vivendi stuff. Yeah, of them trying to yeah. They, it's not the first time they've done stuff like that. I get it. Uh, I've, I couldn't tell you whether or not that was true. I don't know anybody. No, I don't. There, I, I'm speaking purely from speculation. Yeah. I, that's just some but of the stories I've heard about. You read why. it on the internet. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it sounds like a reasonable potential idea for me. But I also see from from the developer side, because they have shown their, their actual tech demo, mm-hmm. um, which is a much more elaborate thing that kind of feels... It, it almost feels like Destiny is 100% alive and Orbit is an actual transition that you make seamlessly, kind of like No Man's Sky. Um, That'd and, be sweet. But, but even more so that like they've, they've got full-blown like, solar system systems in, in play. So like... I've been hurt before. Yeah, that's one of those yeah. things like... Well, this is like... <sighs> I don't think it's exactly the same as, as what saying like no man's sky was and stuff like this. I say like, okay, so you're actually controlling some of the lighting stuff by a positional sun around things. So like it's, it's a little bit more organic in how things are happening rather than um, uh, dressed up to look like it's organic, but it's really not. I guess it's Um, good to know that at least there's a tech there. Yeah. (laughs) There's something. 
the but but um, is it going to visually look as as good as, as that CGI thing? Who knows? Well, I mean, the game's I mean, not the game's I, not coming out four years at the minimum, so who knows what technology looks like at that point? Yeah, Such that's going to be thing to announce. That, that's that, going to be a know. thing. That's yeah. it's probably we're probably going to be on a next console cycle by the time that comes out. Uh, I at least appreciate that they weren't like it. Get ready and get hyped and yeah. get ready soon. Hey, at uh, least it wasn't a uh, just a title card. Yeah, I think I'm <laughs> Metroid. <laughs> I think I'm okay. Yeah. I think I'm okay with that as long as they set the expectations responsibly. Because getting back to the original question about what we want to see improved in the futures, I I don't want to see a release date for a game until a developer and a publisher know that they can hit that date. There's an argument that comes up a lot when people talk about release dates, which is. They delayed the game, but I'm, you know, that's okay because that means they're spending more time making a better game, and that that posits the idea that there's only two options: that you can either release the the game on its announced release date or delay it. But there's a there's a third option, which is don't announce your release date until you can hit it. Just don't do it. I know there's probably, you know, we we mentioned some of the the business reasons for why announcing a release date and then re- you know retracting a release date are important but as a gamer as someone who enjoys games it feels like it's taking advantage like i said earlier there's sort of that social contract like you asked me to get excited about this thing on this date and i you know i did my part and then you pull back on your part and it just seems it just seems uncool don't don't oh, yeah. it's so hard for this game don't, <laughs> don't don't announce a release date until you can hit it can we all just agree that 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 that's the best way to do it. Can we just can we as a, as the three three of us well, here? I don't know if as I can the three agree. of us here. Can we? We can't even agree on that. It's no. one of those things where it's like, what is best? Best best for who? Like, is it, it best for the gamer? Yeah. Best for the business? Possibly, possibly not. There's a lot of variables there. I would say while nothing is ever a hundred percent, more people should make less release date announcements though a release date is is very important internally to get you to push towards a certain thing yeah no, internally holds in, yeah holds i'm not saying I, yeah, yeah, yeah i'm saying internally have all the release dates you want say we're gonna release it you know this year oops we can't do it we'll release it next year but just don't tell me about it yeah no, if you're I, seeing a game comes out in October 2017 and it doesn't release until 2019 like that's much different than a game got pushed back like a month or two yeah, uh, I mean, I I feel that itch with South Park. Yeah, like they, I, I worry about the future of games when they're delayed months and months and months and months. Yeah, then yeah, that can certainly make you feel like, oh, maybe this idea they sold me on is not gelling, yeah. and now it's gonna it, it's gonna need to be something else, and maybe that something else is not what I have been so excited for. Well, there's, I guess there's one other thing that we didn't really bring up and I don't want to go too deep into it because we're kind of running long and I want to wrap this up but we didn't talk about Last Guardian which is a game that was essentially announced like in the PlayStation 2 era and then got delayed and delayed and delayed and it came out for eventually for PlayStation 4 and it feels and looks like a PlayStation 2 game so that you know that's kind of the risk of of pushing those things is that eventually you're going to push it to the point that it's antiquated. That's what I I certainly get worried about uh, uh, beyond suffering something like that of just like you're working for so long on it but you're working on some older tech but but i i don't know but that also comes into like optimization for later so 
I was talking to JJ a bit about that. Um, he was one of our guests. He's a he's an indie game developer. And last night we were talking about The Last Guardian, and he was just he's 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 a developer and he's an animator, and he was just trying to explain his opinion on The Last Guardian. He's like, well, this cat dog thing it's real hard because it's this huge weird animal that has to act like an animal, but also they have to have the AI move around in very confined spaces so it looks right and animation works. I'm like, that cannot be the reason this game was delayed for years and years it's it's like there was there was mismanaged there's something that was mismanaged there and yeah like it got delayed so long that they switched platforms but then they had to redo some assets but it's just to me that just shows like some kind of chink in the armor of something yeah like the management of the development of that game not not the tech so I, well, I don't know. It, it, it could it could also be that they figured something out tech wise that is for them was worth going back. Like like we need to take a, a large leap backwards in what we did because this is going to enhance the game so much. But we do need to strip back stuff and kind of start again from you know point X forward. And uh, I mean it, that's that's a complicated one. But that, that, I mean, that really is like one of the worst case examples. All right, let's go ahead and move into our email section. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about release dates or any of our previous topics, please email us at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Also, if you have any ideas for future topics you want us to talk about, go ahead and send those along as well. We're always taking new ideas on those. And people should be following us on Twitter. Um, we've been making a more sort of concerted effort to link articles, videos, links to uh, indie video games that have to do with what we're we're talking about in the podcast. So if there's any particular subject you're interested in, definitely check out our Twitter feed because there's probably more there that we've we've posted. Yeah, we'd love to reach out to indie developers and talk to them, pick their their brains about what it's like doing what they do. All right, Jared, did you want to uh, read uh, our feedback for us? Yeah, our first one comes from Sean on Facebook. He said, uh, hey guys, so last week we did an episode on boss battles. He says, hey guys, thanks for reading my post. Made me think of Overwatch player-created boss battles, which I'm actually not familiar with. Okay, I can, I can uh, Also, the raids in Destiny are awesome. I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV recently, and they have some really good boss fights with good music interaction. Um, but yeah, like, what's this deal with uh, Overwatch boss battles? So in, I've not even heard of that. Yeah, so in Overwatch, they... Well, I say recently. At this point now, it's a couple months old. But they released the ability for players to set up custom games where you could customize things for specific characters like cooldowns and hit point pools and I mean you could really get into some of the nitty gritty on this stuff like how fast Farah's rocket fires stuff like that so some you could do this on console um I don't know on console I, I know at least on PC you have access to all these different sliders but what mm-hmm. some people would do is they're like okay we're just gonna have one person play say like Winston and he's going to have like 10,000 hit points and all his cooldowns are going to be instant and everyone else is going to play Genji and uh you know with your, cool. with your normal abilities or whatever. Oh, so they're they're basically doing like the like the Halloween uh event that they did but people are making yeah. them custom on their own. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I so, play Overwatch. Yeah, so people were kind of customizing it, but it it kind of brings up an idea that we didn't talk about in that episode our games those sort of asymmetrical games like Evolve or left for dead you know we didn't even talk about sort of that idea of a a player controlled boss fight i love that stuff it's a real good idea and i think 
it's really hard to pull off well. Yeah, so it is. Asymmetrical is a difficult thing to do. Like you can see the struggle with um, Friday the Thirteenth. Mm-hmm. I think of like where is that line between something that seems to make sense and something that is fun and playable. Yeah, yeah, that um, balance is seems very hard to strike, yeah. which is why yeah. You, They've been doing some cool stuff with that game. I'm glad that they released it since they've released it anyways. They've been, I feel, taking a lot of feedback and how to make Jason more fun or make it more fun to be the survivors without making Jason like super overpowered. But he should feel overpowered. Like he's, he's ridiculously stupid in the movies. So I think that they really did some interesting mechanics around that, which I hope they keep expanding on. I agree. I, I was, I day one, I kickstarted that game. I was all over it. Um, and I definitely felt a little bit burned with with their release. Um, just, they had some issues that I I feel like if they would have been like, well, we're delaying it a month, here's why I would have been like, perfect, cool, awesome. Yeah, a lot of people couldn't even play it when it was released. It was yeah, so, like broken. I, yeah, I had plenty of like twenty minute long wait times where it's just me and some other people in a lobby bullshitting. <laughs> uh, but Left for Dead. Playing as the tank was like one of my favorite things. Whenever you got to be the tank in that, Heck yeah, man, that was so fun. I hated the pressure. Yeah. I hated the pressure of being the tank. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I love was... Left 4 Dead. That is that is easily one of my favorite game franchises. When that first yeah. when that demo came out, man, I can't. I don't know how many hours I put into just that demo alone. It was insane. It was real good. I wish yeah. I wish Valve made video games again. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sean, thank you for sending in that email, man. On Twitter, um, we asked people what their favorite boss fights were, and someone brought up Sin from Final Fantasy. Uh, Brandy on Twitter said that Final Fantasy X, uh, the the Sin boss was their favorite battle, but it was they they found it very difficult. Yeah, was Sin was Sin when you had to fight all of your summons? <sighs> I yeah, like you would. So you like fought appendages of that thing throughout the game like you like fought its fins and then at, towards the end of the game you went inside of it like I wasn't clear in that game with, <laughs> if it was like a thing or if it was a creature but like it, you ended up inside of this thing and then yeah you ended up fighting like a bunch of mini bosses and it was pretty it's pretty challenging if you weren't um, already like super overpowered from grinding or, or whatever like, which I probably did because that's how I play those games yeah, me too Brandy says, out of all the Final Fantasies, I had my favorite. I still remember beating Sin. Fucking awful. <laughs> so, Well, the funny thing was, I, towards the end of that game, you have to fight all of your summons, which you had been leveling up the whole game. Unless you were me, and I didn't use any of them. So when I got to that last encounter, I just walked all over my summons. Like, just to fucking destroyed them. <laughs> Did you know that going into no, it? No, I just didn't uh-huh. really... Um, I think it's... A, what's her name? Yuna? Is the one that casts the summons for you in that game. Someone's gonna email me and and like correct me. Yeah, it's that. been a long time, but I'm sure I'm sure someone could correct me on all this stuff. But I just didn't really I didn't really like that character that much, so she never made it into my party, and I I never used the summons, so they were all really weak when I got to the end of that game. Um, Miles on Twitter also he just said Metal Gear Solid had the best uh, boss battles of all time, which. I, I would tend to agree with. I think those are some of my most memorable boss fights. Some of them mechanically, I guess, maybe weren't always the best, but definitely the, the most the memorable. The characters, yeah, for sure. How about you, Matt? Do you have a do you have a, a video game franchise with your favorite bosses? Man. Our choices, our that's, choices on that's Twitter tough. were Metal Gear Solid, Mega Man, uh, Dark Souls. 
Dark Souls, and then we we had an other category, which is why people are writing stuff in for us. Those first times having the big boss battles in like the first Gears of War uh, were certainly memorable. But I mean, size is always kind of memorable, I guess. Yeah. So you like the yeah, physically large bosses? Sometimes. Well, I mean, it just feels it feels like the task at hand is gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> and hard to overcome. Um, though I mean. I guess with Gears of War, I was probably constantly had the uh, commercials in the back of my head too, because those those ads they made were so good. Yeah, they were. <laughs> Can't ever um, hear that song and not think of Gears of War. I know, right? <laughs> All um, around me are familiar faces. Stop. That's as much as we can do legally. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be awaiting yeah, my I, cease and desist in the mail. I I think what's probably most memorable for me is just that very first time I ever encountered at Big Daddy in bioshock yeah you're like i'm gonna fight this thing yeah and then it it. just barrels at me and just tears me apart and i'm just whoa (laughs) the rest of the game you're just like scared the hell out of me yeah those are good frankly i think a lot of the times the final boss is often not the best boss anyway yeah we also we also talked about that as well (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's you could say that with like the latest resident evil Mm -hmm. just about every resident evil (laughs) (laughs) We, we appreciate, thank you, Brandy and Miles, for, for tweeting at us and Sean for writing in. Yeah, and uh, just a reminder, if you have your own feedback, go ahead and send it to us at podcast at gbfeatured.com. And that's going to do it for this episode. Before we get out of here, I want to thank our guest, Matthew Burnside. Matt, thank you so much for joining us, man. This, is, uh, this has been a great discussion. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, where, uh, where can people keep up with you? Uh, well, I'm at Matthew Burnside, Twitter, Instagram, the social networks. <laughs> Uh, I don't really use Snapchat or anything like that. And then, uh, really, I, get I, I don't do much of anything. Well, you're going to have to stalk me. It <laughs> um, won't be too hard if you figure out where I live because I love to walk around in my underwear. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, listen to my podcast. Listen to This Is Rad weekly. We've never missed a week in a few years, and uh, we just keep pumping them out. And it's just about people liking stuff and you guys are doing like the uh, summer of rad right now right <laughs> yep, what, what, is, what is that about uh it where we record uh currently at meltdown comics gets very hot during the summer so we like to get out of the studio and uh, preferably be outside so we do lots of cookouts and whatnot boat rides whatever that's cool hanging out I, by a pool podcast in the field <laughs> i love it uh it's it it's great when you can find a place that's quiet enough. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the things I like about this is rad is that it's not really, it's like, it's not tied to any time necessarily. Like you can go back into the backlog and find a topic that yeah. you really enjoy and, and listen to it. But what's your, what's your favorite episode that you guys have ever done? Oh God. I mean, that's way too difficult of a question. It's well, I asked it. So now you have, now you have to answer. <laughs> <laughs> we've done so many that I can honestly say, I don't remember most of it <laughs> any, any recent experiences stick out to you um uh it was fun i mean just this recent episode with with uh with warp tour uh talking about warp tour was it it's fun to go it's always fun to go back into memory lane and and remember some of the stuff because kyle and i both being in bands was like a big part of our life and concert life is a was a huge huge thing for each of us and uh so it was fun talking about that stuff with a large group of people around the table just uh, yeah. hopefully not loudly eating snacks into a microphone <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about uh, you know 
what possibly embarrassing pop punk band we were really into in 2002. <laughs> that sounds pretty legit. Well, thank you again, man, for being here. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. And as a reminder, we release new episodes of our podcast every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to this so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, head over to iTunes and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his and Matt's podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes. And lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to uh, just hang out and listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right, thank you, guys. I'll catch you next time. Thanks, Steve. Later, Matt. Thank you. Did we do it? Did we? Did we? We talked. We we talked a lot. <laughs> that we did. I don't know if we accomplished we do, anything. We done. We done. Talked about video games. <laughs> Hooray! We did it. We made a podcast. Wonderful.